Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to CBS News Roundup ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, a Maui official resigns over the decision not to activate warning sirens ahead of the wildfires. I think any warning would have been extremely helpful. Another indictment for former President Trump, this time in Georgia. I think they're sick people. I think they are people that have no idea how the world works. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, how indigenous people in Hawaii have a vision for rebuilding where... Kanaka are allowed to return to our ancestral lands and restore it. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. The death toll is still on the rise in Maui, where the search for loved ones lost in those wildfires is ongoing. CBS's Donya Backus begins our team coverage. With crews in Lahaina only at the beginning of the long road ahead of them, residents consider what's next. A lot of us haven't even had time to, to grieve. I mean, we're just slowly getting out of the survivor mode. New aerial footage shows the widespread destruction caused by the deadliest U.S. wildfire in over a century. On the ground, rescue teams are still searching for hundreds of victims, many believed to be children. A lot of the remains that we're finding are almost unrecognizable. A lot of people got caught in traffic jams um, um, in their cars. 19-year-old Noah Tompkinson jumped in the ocean along with his mother and younger brother to survive the flames. I'm just thinking about, you know, all the, all the people's homes and, and all, the, all the people, all the pets, I mean, that had nowhere to go. His family's home is one of the thousands destroyed. He says he can't stress enough how much help the island needs. Danya Backus, CBS News, Maui. The heavily criticized head of the Maui Emergency Management Agency has stepped down after defending his decision not to activate warning sirens as wildfires roared across the island. As fires smoldered, then erupted into an inferno that destroyed the town of Lahaina last week, CBS News has learned that the island's emergency management administrator wasn't on Maui, but was attending a conference on an entirely different Hawaiian island. Herman Andaya. Speaking to reporters for the first time Wednesday, Herman Andaya defended his decision not to activate Maui's warning sirens. Do you regret your decision? And have you considered handing over the reins to somebody with more experience? To say that I am not, not qualified, I think, is incorrect. On Thursday, Maui County's mayor accepted Andaya's resignation, saying in a statement, given the gravity of the crisis we are facing, my team and I will be placing someone in this key position as quickly as possible. Do you regret not sounding the sirens? I, I do not. 
And the reason why... And So many people said they could have been saved if they had time to escape. Had a siren gone off, they would have known that there was a crisis emerging. The sirens, as I mentioned earlier, is used primarily for tsunamis. The public is trained to seek higher ground in the event that the siren is sounded. Survivors we spoke with say they believe activating the sirens could have saved lives. I think any warning would have been extremely helpful, even if it just got us to come out of our homes and our condos. Meanwhile, new details are emerging on the fire's origin. It began first as a small spot fire at 9.30 a.m. It was fully contained and firefighters left. Sometime before 3.30 p.m., the wind rekindled the fire. It burned for more than two hours before reaching town. Do you think that the sirens would have saved more lives? Hard to say. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that there would have been a, a net benefit. Todd Maglioka is leading one of the 28 search and rescue task forces combing through Lahaina and collecting human remains. Where are you finding most of the remains lately as you continue your search? Anywhere where there's a bed. Anywhere where there's a bed? A bed. People were asleep. People were asleep. People were in various stages of fleeing their location. CBS's Lilia Luciano with concerns about predatory developers. There's a new worry for Lahaina residents who survived the inferno. Lahaina is not for sale. I repeat, Lahaina is not for sale. Hawaii's governor is considering a moratorium on all land transactions in Lahaina to protect locals from opportunistic buyers. Please don't approach them with an offer to buy land. Please don't approach their families to tell them that they're going to be better off if they make a deal. Hawaii already has the highest housing cost in the nation, with home ownership out of reach for many residents. On Maui, the average home price is now $1.2 million, while the average income stood at just 88000 Archie Kalepa, a ninth-generation Lahaina elder, says the recovery must be in the hands of locals and natives. We're here to hold the line. We are here to hold the lines and get the rest of the state of Hawaii behind us. That's what Kylie Dindinger and her partner Ray McGorry did when they took in a three-generation family of residents who lost their home in Lahaina. We were already at a housing crisis. We just want, we just want them to stay. They're also holding the line by expanding their family from two to six. Ohana. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Family. It's a Hawaiian word for family. And those lands that are feared up for grabs aren't just any land. Lahaina was the original capital of the Hawaiian kingdom. That area, that land holds the burial grounds of ancestors and kings. So the natives' connection to the land goes beyond historic and cultural. It's also spiritual. Lilia Luciano, CBS News, Maui, Hawaii. CBS's Michael George on other scams. Donations are pouring into Maui to help the thousands of people left homeless from wildfires. This is the type of things that our community does best if we stick together. Besides basic needs, legitimate organizations are also asking for money. But so are criminals posing as charities. We want people to know that whenever there's a natural disaster, scammers are quick to follow. Colleen Tressler with the Federal Trade Commission says scam artists may contact you about donations through phone calls, email, and social media. Are there red flags that people should look out for that might be signs that it's not a legitimate charity? 
Absolutely. These scammers very often create a sense of urgency and you're really not thinking as clearly as you would normally. Some of these scammers use very similar sounding names to organizations, charities that we all know. Another red flag, criminals often ask for payment with cash, gift cards, wire transfer, or cryptocurrency. We really recommend that you pay by credit card, which gives you a lot more consumer protections. Tressler says you should only donate to charities you trust. You can verify the legitimacy of a nonprofit through sites like Charity Watch, Charity Navigator, and others. Every dollar that a scammer takes out of a generous person's pocket means that money isn't going to the people in need. A little research can help guarantee the money you send gets to the right place. Michael George, CBS News, New York. Coming up, the latest on former President Trump. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. New legal worries for former President Trump, who was facing his fourth indictment. This time, he and 18 others are accused of running a criminal enterprise to overturn the results of the 2020 election in Georgia. CBS's Nicole Killian joins us from Atlanta. Well, the former president was charged on 13 counts. Keep in mind that this was a very sweeping indictment with a total of 41 counts that not only included the former president, but 18 other co-defendants, all of whom were charged with racketeering and other charges related to their alleged attempts to overturn the 2020 election. Again, the former president charged with 13 uh, out of those uh, 41 counts. Uh, But it is significant because it's really the first time that we have seen some of his top aides and allies like Mark Meadows, who was his former chief of staff in the White House, Rudy Giuliani, his former personal attorney, uh, also be indicted uh, in this case. The district attorney, Fonnie Willis, has proposed a trial date of March 4th, which is smack dab in the middle of the Republican presidential primary. It's one day before Super Tuesday, and we have already seen some of the defendants uh, come out uh, suggesting that this is scheduling order not stand, and they're pushing back against that date. Furthermore, uh, we have other defendants, for instance, like Mark Meadows, who are now trying to get this case moved out of Fulton County into federal court. Uh, so this is likely a process that will uh, continue to drag on. Uh, that being said, we do know the former president and these defendants have until the end of next week to surrender to local authorities. According to our sources, the former president's team is in negotiations right now on the terms of his potential surrender, which again has to happen before next Friday. Really briefly, Nicole, what has he had to say about these latest charges? 
Well, the former president continues to push back against these charges and has uh, labeled uh, those who uh, indicted him and who were involved in this case as sick people. Uh, He has suggested that he has proof of election fraud in Georgia, even though those claims have been debunked. He was promoting a press conference on Monday. He has since canceled that. But we have seen a number of Georgia officials, including the governor, uh, come out against the former president uh, yet again, saying that the election here in Georgia was not stolen. That also includes some of his 2024 rivals, including former Vice President Mike Pence, who I spoke to here in Atlanta, who again reaffirmed that he does not believe that the election was stolen and that he did not have the right to overturn the election on January 6th. That being said, the former vice president also said that he believes no one is above the law and that we should let this process play out. CBS's Nicole Killian. A federal appeals court this week upheld the FDA's 23-year-old approval of the widely used abortion pill, but with limits. CBS's Nora O'Donnell. A federal appeals court in New Orleans said it would limit access to mifepristone, saying the FDA overstepped its authority by making it easier for women to get the drug. Access to the pill won't immediately change, but the ruling likely sets up a Supreme Court showdown with the Biden administration expected to appeal. There's a major security concern at the nation's airports over a number of incidents involving the Clear Travel Service. Now the TSA is announcing new enforcement measures. A clear crackdown is underway after at least three security breaches at airport checkpoints. Clear is a subscription service using biometrics to verify customers' identity, speeding them directly into security screening. But in at least two incidents this year, would-be flyers not enrolled in the program used it to go through TSA checkpoints without ever showing identification. In one case, the person used a boarding pass fished out of the trash. John Pistol is a former TSA administrator. As we know, it only takes one bad actor to bring down a plane if they are a committed terrorist. So that that is a concern. Clear says it has successfully verified over 130 million passengers, but acknowledges two Clear employees violated our strict protocols. Security is job one at Clear, adding the employees were fired, others retrained. In a third incident last July at Washington's Reagan National Airport, a would-be flyer got waved through by a Clear employee but was found with ammunition in his bags, prompting concern from Congress. Can you commit to closing any security gaps that you've identified in this situation? Yes, sir, I'm fully committed to that. Now, TSA will soon require everyone, including verified clear users, to show ID to TSA officers. I mean, the whole reason for clear is to just kind of easily breeze through, so it's just another added step. I might as well just go through regular check. A change potentially leaving Clear's future cloudy. Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, Los Angeles. The suspected mastermind of the September 11th terror attacks and four others could avoid the death penalty under a plea agreement that's being considered. Some relatives of the nearly 3,000 killed are outraged. For families who lost loved ones on 9-11, it's been an excruciating wait for the trial of suspected mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and four other accused plotters. It's more heartbroken. There's now fresh outrage for Kristen Breitweiser, whose husband died in the World Trade Center after the Pentagon sent this letter to families, revealing plea deals are being considered in which the five men would accept criminal responsibility for their actions and plead guilty 
in exchange for not receiving the death penalty. I thought I lived in the United States of America. I thought we were a nation based upon the rule of law. And obviously, um, that's turned out not to be the case. The prosecutions of the 9-11 defendants at Guantanamo Bay held in military tribunals have been delayed for years, mainly complicated by the CIA's interrogation of the suspects that critics called torture, and whether the evidence extracted is admissible in court. Mr. A defense lawyer for one of the accused plotters told CBS's Catherine Herridge last year a plea deal would end the impasse. She is willing to plead guilty, serve a long sentence at Guantanamo in exchange for medical care for his torture and taking the death penalty off the table. That doesn't satisfy Brad Blakeman, who lost his nephew, Tommy Jurgen in the World Trade Center. We were told and we were promised that we would bring these people responsible to justice. And we expect that to happen. Through the years, there have been proposals to move the trials from military tribunals to civilian court. But that idea faced stiff resistance in Congress, worried about the security and the costs of moving cases out of Gitmo. Scott McFarland, CBS News, Washington. A new study offers a promising procedure to treat severe eye injuries. Researchers working with four patients have used stem cells from one eye to treat severe injuries in the other eye. They took a small biopsy from the healthy eye, and they grew and expanded the stem cells in a lab and then transplanted them into the injured eye. CBS's Jim Crisula reports that the first person to have the procedure was a 51-year-old Alabama man left nearly blind by a chemical burn who can now see well enough to drive. Coming up, a story of resurrection in France. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. In Louisiana, it may sound like a tale of David and Goliath for an online coffee company, but is it? WAFB-TV's Lester Douay. It's a typical day for Sarah Hamilton, busy packing up boxes of orders from her nautical-themed apparel brand for fans across the world, all from a building behind their home in Livingston Parish. It's a company she started with her mom, Monica. We were living in Florida, and I grew up in Alaska, so I missed the mountains, but we were living by the beach, and I wanted to write a blog called Mountains and Mermaids, and we moved back to Alaska and decided to take that brand name and turn it into a brand. As a former barista, Sarah knew she wanted to somehow incorporate coffee into the new company years ago. And we came out with the Sirens Brew design and then people would ask us, well, are you going to carry coffee? That's what we did and we started carrying coffee and then that's how we got into our mess with Starbucks. The Sirens Brew Coffee Co. was born under the Mountains and Mermaids brand, but soon after the women say they found themselves in a legal predicament with Starbucks over the trademark. Starbucks claims this mom and daughter team can't use the siren name or logo for coffee, even if their design looks nothing like the Starbucks mermaid. They basically felt like they have common, like, like common law rights essentially to the term siren in conjunction with coffee because they're Starbucks. So this has been an ongoing legal fight for four years now for this small business. And just when they thought they were in the clear, Starbucks hit them with even more legal issues. And not only did they oppose our trademark, they also opposed it for our clothing. So we had one for our clothing and one for the coffee. And they opposed both of those. So then we joined the cases together. We won the clothing 
but we didn't win the coffee. That ruling was made just a few months back, absolutely crushing the small business owners. A lot of small businesses didn't make it through COVID. And uh, we did. We did. And then I mean. to get slapped again, um, it's hard. The women describe their fight as something similar to David versus Goliath, with most of their proceeds from sales going towards legal bills now. They say they will continue to fight to do what they love and protect that valuable trademark. It doesn't matter whether you're Starbucks, Dunkin', Nike, whatever. Small businesses should also have the right to protect their brand just as much as anybody else. We pay the same application fee as the billion dollar companies. The ladies will continue to sell their coffee while they challenge the ruling and business isn't slowing down. They sold around 300 pounds of coffee online just last month alone. Been looking for love online in all the wrong places? Beware of scams and here's a warning now on how to watch your back from a reformed scam artist with a conscience. Nicole Hayden is a single mom who was working long days as a nurse in 2021 when she got a private message on social media. And I opened it up and he just started talking, saying hi, asking me, you know, where I lived, what I did, basic normal conversation. The conversation took off and Nicole was smitten until her new online beau eventually demanded money and threatened to blackmail her if she didn't pay up. That's when Nicole realized it was all a scam. You feel really disappointed. The Federal Trade Commission says Americans lost $1.3 billion in romance scams in 2022 alone. To find out how these cons worked, I talked to a former scam artist from Nigeria who asked us not to reveal his name. What would you tell these women? How did you get them to give you money? I, I make them fall in love, you know, I... I make them laugh, I do things they like. He created fake social media profiles using the pictures and details of other men, including American soldiers. His main targets were middle-aged, divorced women. Once they trusted him, he would make up a pretend crisis and ask for money. But he eventually changed his ways after a major payday. She gave me over $20,000. And at some point she became sick, she became depressed. I felt this kind of guilty conscience, you know. He stopped scamming and now works for the other side and a website called Social Catfish. For a fee, the company uses reverse search technology to help online daters investigate a potential suitor if fraud is suspected. He also says the best way to protect yourself is to never engage with someone who won't video chat or meet in person. And if anyone asks you for money online, chances are their intentions are not sincere. Christine Lazar, CBS News, Los Angeles. In France, a story of resurrection. The massive spire of the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris is set to rise again four years after being destroyed by fire. Four years ago, the world looked on in horror as Notre Dame was engulfed in flames. The cathedral's massive timber roof was lost to the fire. The iconic spire, made of oak and metal, was destroyed. Soon, though, it will rise again over Paris. Deep in the French countryside, teams of artisans measure, saw and chisel centuries-old oak to rebuild the spire to its original design, combining the methods of the past with the tools of today. A crane lowers another piece of the puzzle into what will soon be a 300-foot spire in the presence of the man in charge of the project, General Jean-Louis Georgelin. 
it's a, it's, it's a very emotional time because the reconstruction of the spire is the key phase of the reconstruction of the cathedrals since the fire. The shaft is now complete, but work on the main body of the spire continues. Architect Axel Ponsonet has been working on the reconstruction for two years. I'm extremely proud to be part of this team and to rebuild Notre Dame, but it's also a very interesting project because it's a very complex structure and never today we are rebuilding such structures. And what's amazing is that we are really trying to be very uh, specific in the way we rebuilt it. So, Is it going to be just as it was? Yes, it's going to be just as it was. We are, the, the design is traditional, the, the knowledge is traditional, but the techniques are modern. The timber came from forests across France, like this one we visited two years ago, where only the tallest oak trees, at least 100 years old, were chosen. The architects call this the heart of the spire. 285 pieces of oak are assembled in complex patterns to form the shaft. In the next few weeks, it will be taken to Paris and placed on the roof of the cathedral, as shown to CBS 60 Minutes. French President Emmanuel Macron promised that Notre Dame would reopen to the public in 2024. General Georgelin is confident they will meet that deadline. I do my best. Every minute in my life is dedicated to that. Work on the spire continues until the end of this year, when it is expected to soar again into the Paris skyline. Elaine Cobb, CBS News, Brie, France. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Alison Key segment, how a community is holding together. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys segment, where every week we discuss issues including gender. This time we're talking about the situation in Maui, where entire neighborhoods were destroyed by the raging wildfires. In Lahaina, an area of deep significance for indigenous people, cultural documents, art, and a massive archive were lost to the flames. Activist Noah Lani Ahina, co-founder of Mona Medic Healers Hui, describes the history there. Lahaina, uh, its original name is Lahaina Oka um, Malu'ulu Olele, and Malu'ulu Olele is a land of, of breadfruit. And Lahaina used to be rich with breadfruit, which is a staple for our diet. It's an ancestral food. And it's part of what kept um, this area shaded from the hot sun. Lahaina is the blazing sun. Um, it used to be uh, one of the one of the wettest places, the mountains up above Lahaina are one of the wettest places in the world. And they brought abundant amounts of water down to our people. It was a bread basket. There was so much food, so much fish. Um, it was a place where our li'i or our monarchs wanted to be because it was so abundant and so fruitful. Um, and it has it has had um, places of deep sacred context for us for time immemorial our mokuula and mokuhinia which was a wetland system a fish pond with an island in the middle uh, that was the residence of some of our our monarchs um and it, it's a place of deep deep reverence and significance um but since the plantation era since the illegal occupation Lahaina has been taken over by uh plantation politics by monocropping uh, the water has been diverted it's left Lahaina very, very dry and barren. We've had over-tourism, over-development, and it really set us up for this condition um, 
to, to have this kind of catastrophe. And what it's done is it's it's taken to the ground into ash so many things that our, our Indigenous people hold dear mm-hmm. uh, to us, like, like the areas of Moku'ula, the cultural center, Na'aikane Omawi Cultural Center, that was positioned right next to Moku'ula, that had archives, it had um, um, very old maps, um, genealogy research, um, and, and an entire collection of carvings from an elder named Sam Ka'ai, uh, who is a very beloved national treasure and... Um, uh, carver and artisan, uh, his entire collection was lost. It was burned to the ground. She says that elder has a vision for the future. He dreamt of restoring to Lahaina to its beauty, to what it was before settler colonialism came in and turned it into a plantation town and then a whaling town and then a tourist town. And for me, it's really about uh, the the rebuilding being Kanaka Maoli centered. Kanaka Maoli are the first people of this Aina. We're deeply connected. We're ancestrally rooted. We're related to the land. We have relationship with the land. And I think the vision that the Hawaiian people are holding right now, that the Kanaka Maoli are holding, is one where Kanaka are allowed to return to our ancestral lands and restore it so that our ecosystem is in balance, so that our people are nourished and healthy, and so that we can protect ourselves from outside influences that um, have taken away so much from us. Todd Lamphere is with the faith-based nonprofit City Serve and is in Maui right now helping out. Well, we've been uh, working with uh, the local church, uh, specifically King's Cathedral, on passing out resources uh, uh, that uh, uh, that have come on the island, uh, either uh, that have been purchased on the island or things that we have purchased on the island, and really just taking those into uh, a Lahaina is really where we have focused all of our uh, attention uh, at this point. How important is it for the faith community to be involved in helping people in such dire need? The faith community is really the uh, the glue that keeps all of this together, Allison. Um, uh, the church was there before the disaster. They're in the middle of. They're here in the middle of the crisis, and they're going to be uh, on the island long after every other uh, disaster relief organization leaves. And so, it's imperative that uh, the local church be resourced because of their connective uh, tissue within the community. What have you been hearing from some of the people that you've spoken to there about how they're doing? Uh, I will tell you, Allison, that the beautiful people of Maui are just so resilient. Um, you know, so many uh, people lost homes. In, in fact, there so many of the people who are going in and helping uh, in the relief effort have lost their homes themselves. And, uh, you know, so there's a there's a great sense of caring. There's a, a tremendous amount of community on this island. What is special about the help one can get from a church rather than what one can get, obviously, from a neighbor or for some of the other organizations that are out there gathering food and other resources? Amazing question. Uh, everyone obviously needs water. They need food. They need clothing. Uh, they need shelter. Uh and there are a lot of organizations out there that that do that, um, both faith faith based and um, uh, secular organizations. Here's the difference, Allison, is that 
churches really are not only dispensers of those resources, they're dispensers of hope. And that's what they bring to the community. So not only are they bringing in food and, and, and clothing and resources and all of those things, but they're also bringing this, this hope, this love, this empathy that uh, we are walking a mile in your shoes. We are uh, here. We, we care. And again, uh, you know, we have pastors who have lost their churches and lost their homes to the fire, but yet they're out there uh, handing out water. And, and praying with people, you know, hugging on people, crying with people. And that's something that, uh, quite frankly, uh, uh, the, uh, the faith community and the church, just uh, they shine uh, in, in those areas. You were talking about hope. What kind of signs of hope have you been hearing from the people that you've been speaking with there, from pastors to other residents? Well, they're, they are encouraged that, you know, that, that people uh, – come around you know the when we talk about the faith-based community and we talk about uh the church as a whole it's a pretty big community uh around the united states and worldwide and when you know that you've got people that are flying in from all parts of uh the country to come in and help it lets them know number one they're not alone uh, that the world is watching the world does care uh and the world is responding and that is an encouragement to people. But, you know, just having this uh, a, a vertical connection uh, to a God who loves them uh, is is something that embraces the soul. Uh, food will will help nourish the body, uh, but prayer and love will nourish the soul. Coming up, a legless creature is named for a famous actor. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. In Minneapolis this week, family and friends gathered to honor World War II vet Jake Larson. Jake Larson says he is just a country boy, born on a farm and raised with no running water or electricity. This is one of the highlights of my life. Jake is being honored for service to country. It all began by telling a little fib. I joined the National Guard right here in Owatonna in 1938. I was 15 years old. Jake gained rank quickly, rising from the lowest infantry soldier to one of the highest. I got in on the planning the invasion. I got the Bronze Star for, for, for my planning. Every person that landed on D-Day came through these fingers. Jake talks vividly about his war experience, but his story was interrupted, and rightfully so, by family. 
We're Shirley Moore's daughters. Hi. Hi. Oh, yes. Hi. My great uncle. You ever watch me on TikTok? Oh, yeah. Jake is known by many as Papa Jake, a TikTok sensation with more than 700,000 followers. Hundreds came to hear him in person, including this special guest. I work in California first. I put the rivets in Helen worked in the factories replacing the men who joined the military, like Jake, who says he is the luckiest man in the world. I, I went through six battles. I, I landed at Omaha Beach on D-Day. Walked through a minefield. But he still insists that he is not a hero. But those guys that gave their life so that I could make it, there's a hero. WCCO-TV's Reg Chapman tells us Jake Larson is the lone survivor of all the units that landed on Omaha Beach on D-Day. Actor Harrison Ford plays heroes on the silver screen, and he's been that for the environment, having spent decades trying to help save the planet. His love of nature earned him a special honor this week with a wink to his admirers. If you are a fan of the fictional Indiana Jones, you probably know how he feels about snakes, from his toes to the top of his fedora. I hate snakes! But in real life, Harrison Ford likes snakes, especially the one that now bears his name. The new species is pretty with scales threaded in copper with amber eyes. It's about 16 inches long when fully grown, is harmless to humans and likes lizards and frogs. Ford says in a statement, the snake's got eyes you can drown in. If you also like snakes, some super-friendly pet hotels might even allow you to bring it along with you. Most, though, are more geared to our furry friends, and CBS's Wendy Gillette says some are really pulling out the perks. Let's go. Norman and Stanley recently checked into Lowe's Hollywood Hotel in Los Angeles, luxuriating in views of the Hollywood Hills, new doggy bowls, and other hotel gifts. We've had dog room service. Um, and everybody has just been very welcoming for the dogs. They've been treated like royalty. The brand offers the same VIP treatment across all of its hotels through its Lowe's Loves Pets program. They'll be treated like you will be treated, like a superstar. A recent survey found 78% of pet owners got animals during the pandemic, and another survey shows 55% plan to travel with them. Just down the road at the Kimpton Everly Hollywood, one of the hotels where we stayed for a special rate, pets get their own plush bed, colorful cookies, and a dog curie to toast along with their people. Dog, cat, hamster, guinea pig, a peacock, whatever it is, they're welcomed here. There are also plenty of pet-friendly options on the East Coast, like Crown Plaza HY36 in New York City, which has large rooms for animals to run around, and pup packages at check-in that include gourmet treats and a MetroCard squeak toy. Yvonne Wonder is taking advantage of the spike in pet travel with her national pet and child sitting business, Destination Sitters. Our business is booming. I mean, there are so many more pet friendly hotels. Ready to make sure your pet gets an escape from that dog eat dog world. Wendy Gillette, CBS News. Finally, we take you back to Hawaii to tell you the story of a family of 16 who lost their homes but escaped with their lives and love. KGMB-TV's Mark Carpenter. The skies above Front Street almost apocalyptic when the fire started roaring through Lahaina Town. Humberto Cardenas, his mother, and their pets 
stuck in the frenzy of cars trying to evacuate while flames took over. It was like a few feet just like right next to our car, like everything just catching on fire, like the outlets, like they have like trees that were just like, just, yeah, catching on fire. There was like the ashes coming down from La Luna. There was like fire just like flying down, like it was just raining fire. It was just super scary. They sat in traffic for nearly an hour, choking on smoke. We don't know what to do, like we were just stuck. The car was getting like super heated and my mom was telling me like, if you have to like just grab the pets and just start heading that way, like by feet, because we didn't think we'd make it out. Also stuck was Umberto's uncle, Armando Haro, who had his own view of the chaos near Lahaina's Cannery Mall. The power lines start coming down on the road, like four, you know, in front of uh, Cannery Mall. Yeah, it was, was bad. It looked like a movie. Man. And then plenty black smoke coming out and uh, plenty of people running, buying stuff. Fortunately, Haro, Cardenas, and their immediate families made it safely to another relative's home in Ka'anapali. Back on Oahu, another family member frantically trying to get them off island. I wanted them to be here that night. I started sending messages, which I know they weren't receiving, saying, come here, come here tomorrow morning, come here, if you can, just come here. Pedro Haro grew up in Lahaina, where five of his family's homes were lost in the blaze. He says initially, some didn't want to leave Maui. Saturday, they actually flew over to Kahului and was able to talk to the entire family. What was happening is they didn't want to leave without each other. So one brother would say, well, what am I going to do with my car? He said, well, I'm not going to leave if he doesn't leave. And then all of them, it was, um, and we on Oahu were desperate to have them here. So on Monday night, 15 of his relatives and their pets landed on Oahu. Some will be staying with him, others with friends and relatives around town. Like so many, they're still processing the destruction and don't know if they'll ever return to Maui. But they're thankful everyone is safe. We like work, we, you know, we like keep going. And it's all, always my father tells us, you know, my father, you know, bring us over here and he show us how, how to work, you know, how to work and how to go always forward. This is not the way that we're supposed to be together, but there's a lot of families that can't even say that. There's a lot of families that are still not together. And so we'll take what we have. We're blessed. We're really grateful to all the people. And we're together. Um, and that's more than I can hope for right now. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Sarah Fishman is a technical supervisor, and Alan Peng provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, 
assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.